This episode of Thanks a Million is brought to you by Sweaty Betty. Now, I have been living in leggings with a new baby and a determination to not leave the house for a bit or maybe ever again. Sweaty Betty's all day leggings are an absolute revelation. They're a little bit thicker than some of their other ones. And although I have not put this to the test personally just yet, I am reliably informed that they pass the squat proof test with a big 10 out of 10. You know the one, drop it like it's hot and make sure nothing's hanging out. The sweat wicking and quick drying material means they're perfect for something like a weight session, but also soft enough so you might just keep them on for the rest of the day. Win, win. So if you are after a staple pair of leggings that you can wear with just about anything, look no further because Sweaty Betty have given me an exclusive 20% off code to share with you, my lovely podcast listeners. Use the code thanks a million to get yours. That's thanks with a H, even if you couldn't hear it in my voice. Early bedtimes, long, cold walks and the first signs of spring. There are a million things I'm thankful for today, but what is my guest thankful for? I think that we're in a really good place. Like, I think if I was in a place where I was only able to do my job based on people giving me jobs, I would be in a very different state of mind. I'm Angela Scanlon and welcome to Thanks A Million, where we explore our guests' personal gratitude lists to find out the things that have shaped their lives. Gratitude is your soul's superfood, but cheaper than goji berries and twice as good for you. In this series, we talk thanks with the good, the great and the grateful. Today's guest is the fantastic Edith Bowman. Her gorgeous Scottish lilt, can you believe, has been part of our lives for the best part of three decades now. A broadcaster and presenter who has an enviable CV over the years presenting at all the major BBC radio stations, including at Radio 1 for over 11 years, as well as launching the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. She's hosted coverage of festivals like Glastonbury, worked the red carpets of countless movie premieres, presented for Channel 4, Sky Arts and MTV, and last year was given the honour of hosting the BAFTAs. Honestly, couldn't think of a better person to do it alongside the wonderful Dermot O'Leary at the Royal Albert Hall. Let's just say the girl from a small fishing village in Fife in Scotland has come pretty damn far. Edith has become the go-to woman to talk about music and film. Her podcast, Soundtracking, where she speaks to directors, producers, actors, writers and composers about their relationship with music is absolutely brilliant. Her glittering array of guests has even included Quentin Tarantino and Steven Spielberg. I mean, she is the Dawn. It has won awards at both the Arias and New York Festival's Radio Awards, two huge awards to win in audio. So this was a little disconcerting. <laughs> Edith is also married to Tom Smith, the frontman of Editors and has two children and just before the pandemic hit, moved out of London to the countryside. I know. She's the one who was posting field-like selfies while the rest of us were staring through balcony bars. Before we get to that, what three things have you, the listeners, been thankful for? HM Josie, my health, being single, good woman, and food in the house. Halicean days, it is the anniversary of a very, very dear friend's death today, but grateful to have known and loved her. Grateful for the velvety buds on the magnolia tree I've planted in her memory and grateful for stumbling upon a blue sky with clouds jumper. 
that she'd have adored while grocery shopping. I'll think of her whenever I wear it. Cute. Eileen, I'm grateful for home eyebrow dye kits because sick of looking like Mrs. Potato Head after COVID. Grateful for crunchy frost on the grass so dog poo is solid. Important stuff, you know. And grateful that my three young adults are healthy and surviving. Be good to you. Let's get into it with Edith, shall we? In our chat, we talk about radio in her 20s and the relationship with the press, her children not having them on social media and the boundaries around all of that, not getting things you want, and of course, soundtracking and Edith's passion for film. Welcome to Thanks a Million, Edith Bowman. So you're a Capricorn? Yeah. Yeah. You are as Me well, too. aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bring on the goats. Bring on the goats. (laughs) I feel like we're underrated, Edith. Oh, totally. Like instead of goats, I feel like we should be dark horses, you know, dark horse goats. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. I think that Capricorns have a tendency to be really reliable. So people take them for granted. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not that reliable. We're a pleaser. We're pleasers. You know oh, I'm I mean? definitely kind of a pleaser. I'm yeah. definitely a pleaser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I see you've just come back from a little trip in Italy. I mean, I'm presuming that might be what you're grateful for today. I am more than grateful for anything I've ever been grateful for, for my little trip. <laughs> my 48 hours in Italy and being given the opportunity to, to travel. I was kind of almost in tears walking down like the streets and stuff and just being in a different country and hearing a different language and being under the same sun but it being in a different place was just it was amazing it was so special and um yeah I'm gonna really make the most of every opportunity that I have like that I think and and really savor it and celebrate it and we'd had a big sort of lunch with friends and came out and we're like oh we've got about an hour left of sun sunlight and so we're like want to see as much as we can so we jumped on those kind of scooters you know those oh yeah yeah scooters that you can get yeah and i've got this brilliant picture of tom like scooting past the coliseum (gasps) joyous (laughs) it was amazing it was so yeah it felt like we were on a kind of first date again in a weird way it was just lovely i think as well because we haven't had much time just the two of us yeah um in the past couple of years so it was just really special on so many levels that's so lovely also i think the airport has become an exciting place again. Mooching around yeah. a bookshop. You can be anyone in an yes, airport. Yes, and just watching people. And anyway, yeah, I'm I'm back in love with the airport. I did want to be an air hostess back in the day. That was my dream Me gig. too. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. once got to make the announcement when I was about <gasps> nine. We went on holiday to, I think it was Portugal, on a, an airline that doesn't exist anymore called Monarch Airlines. Okay, and yeah, yeah. I don't know how my mum managed it, but I got to put on the apron. Remember when they used to wear just aprons over their clothes when they came and served the food? And I got to make the announcement. Oh, that's a lovely one to have in the old back pocket. I just got a box of crayons. Nobody Um, understood a word I said, but do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, ooh, where are we off to? I thought we were going to Portugal. This sounds like a different country. (laughs) Okay. Is there a thank fuck for this? Jesus, where do I start? I mean, <laughs> I think the thing that I'm thank fuck for, a kind of physical thing, is a coffee machine. Oh, go on. It was a kind of weirdly selfish birthday present for Tom. Nice. He was, you know, we had that first lockdown in March and he was, his birthday's in April. You know, he likes his coffee and we weren't 
we weren't able to go anywhere and get coffee. It's like, shall we buy a coffee machine mm. and learn how to make nice coffees? Yeah. You know, we might need barista skills when we get out this the other side. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so yeah, thank. Fuck I mean, for literally, the it's like in the morning, crawling down the stairs, trying to get the kids ready for school, and just it's yeah. there, almost kind of hugging you as you welcome come in the yeah. kitchen. It's going, come on. I'm also going to save you some money. Mainlining beans and save the environment, some of those cups. Because I do feel like we've taken an awful step back, haven't we? I had gotten so good with my keep cup. I'm trying, and and then they didn't accept them for donkeys. It was like, sorry, we're not handling your filthy ass cup. I like it as well. We've got a couple of little places, um, because we moved out of London just before that first lockdown. And where we are, there's a couple of really good little it's a little kind of drive-through farm shop thing, and they do proper compostable cups and lids. Oh wow! That's the thing, it's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Lids. It's the lids. Do you know what's really funny is I've had a couple of occasions where I've had um, like workmen round because I like using the, the the coffee machine. So I'll kind of go, "Do you want a coffee?" And he's like, "Oh, that'd be lovely. Thanks very much." I was like, "What do you fancy? Do you want a latte? Do you want a flat white?" He's <laughs> kind of like, "Oh." Once I actually got away with not having to pay for the call-out fee. Because I made him such a nice coffee and he said that nobody ever offers him a coffee. No way. Well, we have a lad downstairs power hose in the patio right now. Um, And I did the same thing. (laughs) I think it's very important to caffeinate them and also get rid of the chocolates. (laughs) So I put a little plate out with the chocolates on it and it just gives me so much joy. I'm like, because I do imagine there's a lot of people who never would. They're like, go on in there you go. Let me know when you're leaving. Yeah. And I think it's bloody cold outside, especially today. But like, I like to give a little treat. Yeah, I think, you know, I grew up in a hotel. So I was kind of, I was, I grew up in the service industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mum and my my granddad started this little hotel in Scotland. And so, um, yeah, we grew up in, uh, I grew up in this little family hotel with my mum and her six sisters. Okay. Uh, And, um, and so that was my, that was my life. Do you know what I mean? Kind of servicing. Yeah. Hosting is natural. People. Yeah. yeah. It's rude if I don't. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Is there anything else, like in terms of morning rituals that you kind of gravitate towards? Uh, well, it's quite interesting. So my, my two kids, um, my oldest just went, started last September at his kind of big school. So he's, they're now at different schools. So he's got a really early start. He's got to get a bus at like 7.30 in the morning. So he's got to be up at half six. So it's quite nice that we have this kind of, kind of truncated mornings where we have a section with with rude and then a section with spike sort of thing and they're such different beasts anyway i mean adorable and loving and cuddly yeah. beasts but they're still very different beasts and their their wants and needs are different and it's quite nice that we've got these kind of almost two breakfast sittings nice. in the morning which then give us the kind of opportunity to to do those kind of rituals um i love doing yoga and i'm really bad at finding time for me to do the things mm. that i like i come really far down the you know, the kind of to-do list. Everybody else kind of comes mm-hmm. first. But what I have started doing is, I don't know if you know, uh, yoga with Adrian. Oh, I love um, her. And Benji the dog. Benji the dog. I mean, oh, I'm I trying know. to teach my dog, River, to be Benji. No. Um, there's two days of the week where the dog goes to puppy play school thing. And so once he's gone, I'll kind of get the yoga mat out in the kitchen. If the sun's out, the sun just mm. bursts into the kitchen. It's so beautiful. And it's such a nice way to start the day. So if I had the luxury of not having, you know, uh, work or other things to do, I would start every morning like that. Yeah. Have a coffee yeah. and do some yoga. 
That is the one thing that I do miss about, um, you know, the enforced prison that was lockdown is the like access to that kind of time and routine because you know you're the same you you don't know what any given day is and you're working around other people's schedules and you're doing all of the stuff and then suddenly you're like oh I get up at the same time every morning this happens then this happens and actually I used to always feel it was very restrictive even though I was yeah. looking at other people do it but I was like oh my god no I mean I may as well be doing a nine to five suddenly I was like oh my god there's such like glorious relief in knowing what I'm doing every day actually yeah I agree with you on that and that I have you know I spent a lot of my life with work stuff doing a kind of um the same job for a long time when it was, when it was radio and things like that so you kind mm. of knew what you were doing every day yeah. and I kind of outgrew that in a way where I was like I don't like having the same thing to do every day but now I kind of I guess it's kind of the best of both worlds in a way and that I like having an element of routine but then I also like having that sort of side of you know, kind of free fall almost in a way. Yeah, that you can literally check out for a bit if you want or yeah, yeah, lean in heavily. <laughs> okay, the thank you next, Ethan. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was I was thinking about this and I think it's more about thank fuck my twenties are over. Okay. Obviously a a while ago. It's so you know, having had a birthday recently, it's kind of I feel happier, more content, younger. You know, if someone says, Oh, do you feel you're older the other day? And I was like, actually no, I was like, I think age is a weird thing. And particularly with the way it's connected with women, is that it's interesting and it's it's really negative, I think. I think age it's just a number. I think it's more about your mindset and your kind of how you feel rather than it being a kind of fraction. Um yeah. and so I can't remember much of my 20s, to be honest. Not because they were that long ago, but just because I was in this kind of, I'm not self-destructive mode sort of thing, but it was kind of like, if I was to be a cartoon character, I'd be like the Tasmanian devil. Do you know what I mean? Just okay, spinning manic. around everything and going, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Kind of thing. And yeah. um, and it was, just a, it was just a terrifying time, actually, just in terms of when I look back on it, um, I'm glad I survived it and got through it sort of thing um and I think part of that was because I was kind of it was discovering you know me I'd kind of got down to London away from Scotland um there was no opportunities at the time up there for me which was kind of you know really frustrating and annoying and then I get down to London and you get I get so much negative feedback about my accent and then thankfully Christine Bohr at MTV was like, no, I want accents. I'm going to launch MTV UK with accents. And so that was a kind of a, an amazing sort of, God, vote confidence from her. And then it was just kind of trying to find my place. And I felt like I was just on perpetual motion for the whole of my 20s almost sort of thing of trying to fit in, trying to find out who I was, where I fitted in, what I was meant to be doing, what I wanted to do. And I still really don't know what I want to do. You know, my, my kids were like, oh, my teacher asked me what I want to do. I was like, ah, oh, just make something up for now. Do you know what I mean? It's fine. Life's about discovering and learning and finding out what you want to do. I still feel like that. But um, yeah, thank fuck I don't have to go through my 20s again. I know. They're tough, aren't they? And I imagine doing it publicly. Like, you know, I guess media and telly and everything is so dispersed now that you can be on TV and have like a really, you know, big following and a successful career, but you can still walk down the street and most people will have no idea who you are. 
But I imagine MTV at that point meant that you were pretty recognisable and all of the other stuff that you did. So kind of growing up and feeling your way around your 20s with that level of eyeballs on you. What was that like? Well, I I think I was quite lucky because I never really had that. I wasn't the kind of sort of Sarah Cox, Zoe Ball sort of ones, you know what I mean, where they were kind of pulling a lot of headlines for things. There were the odd thing as well. It's funny, I remember having to have a conversation with my dad, you know, encourage him not to believe everything he read in the paper sort of thing. Kat Dilly and I, who are still really good mates, and we started MTV at the same time, and we'd spent so much time just hanging out and going out, and, you know, we worked together at MTV, and then we went and did this travel show together, which was so much fun, which we came up with the idea, like, watching Thelma and Louise around hers one night with a bottle of wine going, wouldn't it be great to do a travel show like this? <laughs> and so we managed to get it and went away. And, you know, we were we were really good mates. Uh, and we are really good mates, though. And, you know, it was like, oh, Kat, I need to throw in a lesbian relationship. And, you know, photographs of us kind of holding each other up, coming out of the Met bar or whatever, was because we were pissed. It wasn't because we were, like, you know, licking each other's <laughs> in faces <love>. off. <laughs> um, I mean, we are in love, but it's friends kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like... It's so bizarre. And so it was almost kind of like, look, Dad, see? Uh, don't believe everything you read in the papers kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the only thing that we had, that I had anyway, that was was felt kind of slightly intrusive. I never courted it. Um, you know, I was always really kind of stepped back from doing shoots for like lads mags and stuff. I did one and I regretted it. It was the most uncomfortable and just invasive thing I've ever done. And then even with the kids and stuff as well, I just, you know, I know that people have different opinions about this and and make different choices and things. But for me, I didn't want to parade my kids in front of the media and stuff. And I didn't want them to be recognisable on social media and all that kind of thing, because it's got to be their choice. It's not my choice. You know, Rudy's 13. I didn't want him to come get to sort of 16 and everybody knows everything about him. And it's kind of you know, he's got his own journey to make sort of thing. I don't have the right to to make those choices for him before he's even had an opportunity. So I made that decision really early on that, you know, even like when you got invited to kids film premieres, I was like, look, I'd love to come, but and, and I'd love to bring the kids, but I do not want them photographed and things like that. So And do people respect that or are they like, no, that's part of the gig? No, no, they re- respect it. In fact, and when yeah. we had... When we had Rudy as well, we had photographers doorstepping us outside the house, like photographers sleeping in cars outside trying to get a picture of wow. of Rudy. And so I got uh, my publicist at the time to send a letter out to all the editors and just said, um, this is a formal kind of request, legal formal request asking you to not. And, and that, you know, I didn't know that you could do that. And so yeah. sort of from that point on, it was it was it was much better. And they sort of left us alone. So I think it was really funny though. I remember I had my neighbours coming out sort of banging on the car windows going bugger off kind of thing and oh lovely though yeah 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 really nice I, yeah i mean I, I do the same and you know you see the back of um ruby's head she'll be obscured in some way but i had a point recently where i did like a little carousel thing on instagram and i had cropped yeah. the picture but whatever way um i and I, then i uploaded it and somebody put a comment on saying oh so lovely to see her little face honestly oh no my heart was like cuz again in the, in the exact same way i have loads of friends whose 
kids are front and centre and very much part of their, you know, day to day and how they present themselves online and, and elsewhere. And, and we just made the decision similar to you. Because I think here in the UK, it's once you have shown your kids face, it's like free for all, right? Yeah, So if you're absolutely. walking to the school and they want to take a picture, then the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. And that was like very, I, I didn't realise that was the case. So I was like, oh, that could continue up until whatever point. And I think the implications and the complications around that. But I nearly died. I had had this like oh, oh my god as if I had kind of like ruined my opportunity and that was it like I had made this mistake and that it was now you know done but yeah it's very it's a it's a really weird thing and it is that kind of privacy thing you're like actually I really I really do want to hold that back yeah and you I know. think as well because I was never you know I know people that kind of they would court it in a way where they would let press know where they were going to be you know and and I get it because it kind of raises your profile and it raises your bookability and all that kind of stuff yeah. but I didn't want that boundary crossed I'd hope there's no difference in me now than the person that I am on radio or on TV I'm, I 100% try to be the same person and I think most of the time I am but I also find it really important to have a private life that's mine sort of thing and and it makes it's hard with social media because I like talking to people I like talking to people who follow me but it only goes kind of so far as well you know yeah. it's like there's there's got to be boundaries I think yeah uh, yeah and I think that's the key isn't it and that you are entitled to set them I think sometimes there's a sense of ownership when you're on social media or you're in the public eye that you owe everything to to people who yeah. follow you and actually you're able to, you know, navigate that and it's a personal choice. It's a tricky one. Endlessly tricky and also more tricky than ever because mm. I think like TV, radio, everyone is slightly obsessed with figures on social and da-da-da-da and I have to remind myself that's not my job. For some people that is. They create content and that's their thing yeah. and it's like no it's like a little bolt on and as you say it's a nice conversation it's a lovely community but it is not my entire job you know yeah absolutely it's really funny like whenever you do do a job that involves some kind of you know social media content yeah. and post it makes life an algorithm and it's like it shouldn't yeah. be like that yeah yeah totally fuck instagram no, i'm talking <laughs> <laughs> I did take a break uh, uh, during Christmas and I actually really like Instagram but I took a break over Christmas and I realised that like when I was with people or when I would go somewhere I mean I didn't go many places I was mostly in bed with Covid but I wasn't thinking about whether oh will I get a picture before or after or will I do this or will I do it was like oh suddenly there was a, a space in my brain and in my experience to just be there instead of thinking about how I'm going to you know capture this or if it was a waste that I didn't get a picture or it was and it was mental to me yeah because I was like it surely that's a teenage yeah. thing it is though but because of what we do it's part of the job for my podcast, for example, you know, like you, it's a little independent podcast. It's not broadcast on a major channel. I don't have a marketing budget. I don't have a marketing team. It's basically me and my mate Ben that make it. And so, so much of it getting out there relies on posting yeah. stuff, you know, whether that's about a new episode or whether that's going, oh, it's Lady Gaga's birthday sort of thing. Here's Bradley Cooper talking about her and you know, Star is Born sort of thing, back on episode, whatever it was. 
And so it's funny because I, I feel like Tom takes the piss out of me because uh, I've got this, I've I got this girl was really helpful and sort of showed me how to do all this kind of um, like forward planning on okay. social posts and stuff. And I do it a few days and then I kind of don't do it for a week. So I have my, you know, peaks and troughs. And uh, I was sitting doing it the other night um, last week in, in the living room. Tom's like, let's get social. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but I almost want to kind of compartmentalize it in a way and kind of give myself like maybe two hours a week where I get all the stuff up that I need to post for the podcast yeah. and then kind of hold back on how much I'm on it. But, you know, I say that the reality is it's like, I know nah. it's it is really, really hard. It's really hard to manage. And also, I think like the psycho that is Mark Zuckerberg, it like means that it's the whole thing is created <laughs> to reward you for spending more and more time on it. So if you are trying like you and like I have done to minimize your time on it, you get like penalized in that your stuff is not shared to many people unless you're literally addicted to the thing. So it's, I mean, it's wild. And I feel like for us yes there's some you can kind of separate yourself I just think for young people when they're dragged into that and defined by that or maybe they're not maybe they're like this is a load of balls what's interesting for me is kind of the behind the scenes thing of of the decision making process and things like what makes someone watch one thing as opposed yeah. to something else or like something as opposed to mm. something else. And I think what TikTok has proven is that it's entertainment, it's silliness, it's escapism. I think they don't want to see this like yeah. wildly veneered lifestyle. Have you worked with any TikTokers? I have not. Are they a different beast? It's really interesting. Like I had to host a thing with two TikTokers that were like flown in from the States. And it was so interesting to watch them try and interview people because they're not used to it. Yeah. They're not used to communicating with another person. They're only used to communicating with themselves on yeah. a device. It took them a while to kind of get, get their heads around, oh, it's not about me, it's about them. Oh, okay. And it was so fascinating to watch. I found it really interesting. Well, you know, I remember having, it was like my big break here. So I had done like a little fashion kind of series thing and it was it was made by wall to wall, the same people that make The Voice. Zoe had just finished the BBC Three like spin-off show. I was like, you should just do an online one. I went and I met and I pitched this and they were exploring it already. So I went to have a meeting with this producer and she said to me, oh yeah, I think we're, I think we're probably going to go with a YouTuber. And I was like, whatever you're going to do, you're going to do. And if you want to go with the YouTuber, mm -hmm. I completely respect that. And there's obviously nothing I can do. But I said, I just think it's really important that there's a, a distinction made between what a YouTuber does and what a like, you know, broadcaster or interviewer does. And I said, these people are coming off stage yeah. at the most vulnerable time of their lives. They're nervous. I said, YouTubers are used to brilliantly communicating into a camera, but not necessarily like being able to read and sensitively to exactly that. And mm -hmm. so I was like, you know, I know they'll bring an audience and da 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 da. But I said, just so you're clear, it's a very different skill set, in my opinion. So I was like, whatever. And then they came back and I got that. I got the little job. And I don't know whether it had anything Yay. to do with that. But it was kind of like that point. I think people understand it now. But there was that point when I was kind of trying to 
break in where it was like oh yeah thanks a million but we're going with YouTubers who already have this massive following so suddenly that job yeah. that you're working towards you're obsolete apparently you know which is quite frightening yeah I mean I, I've been doing this like for a lifetime but I still get kind of I still find it hard when you don't get yeah. gigs oh yeah it's still like and I guess that's because I love what I do yeah. and I care so I guess it's a good thing in a weird way I think that that's you know, I'd like to think I'm a glass half full type of person where I always try and see a positive and a mm-hmm. and a negative. Do you? I do, yeah. And I was real bad for comparison before. I'd look around and and also I'm <laughs> I'm quite greedy. I hate I, I say yes to everything. <laughs> or I, I used to I've be, I've gotten better with this, but I used to just think that if I said no to something, the opportunity would never come around again. Yeah. Um, and and now I recognise that you literally can't do anything, everything, or you can, but like the real life things that sustain you and and nourish you alongside your work suffer, and that no matter what job you have, it's not really going to do much for you if you're neglecting those other things. So it's been a process, yeah. but um, yeah, you're still hungry. I think that's important as well to keep that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and even though I mean, you mentioned soundtracking being, you know, your podcast being like a little independent production, four point five million downloads. It's pretty spicy <laughs> for a little independent <laughs> production. Bless you. I mean, it's it's quite remarkable. It's been I I absolutely mm. love it in terms of like it's almost like my kind of work child yeah. that I'm so proud of it because it came out of us being kind of knocked back from a you know, from a traditional broadcaster of wanting to do it every mm-hmm. week. And so Ben and I were like, you know, fuck it, let's do it ourselves. And we did. And we've only missed two weeks since we launched it five wow. years ago. I love it so much because every episode is so different and it just allows me to geek out. Because you're proper geek. Well, I'm just, I'm nosy. <laughs> <laughs> but with film, I remember like us doing BAFTA stuff together and I was always just blown away by the depth and the breadth and your language around film and your passion for film like it's it is properly geeky and like comes from a place of obsession it is but not in a way that it's kind of I don't know that much about the technical side of it you know and film actually was part of my degree but it was one small kind of module and I, I basically wrote an essay on Pulp Fiction I mean the, my course paid for me to go to the cinema to see it five times it's like dream yeah and then there I am with Quentin Tarantino on my podcast it's like somebody genuinely pinched me this is mental but I want it to feel accessible I never want to feel like I'm talking to these people in a way that whether you watch a couple of films a year or whether you watch a couple of hundred films a year that it's kind of accessible for both of those because I'm not a journalist I'm not a critic I'm a fan and that's kind of how I approach yeah any of the stuff that I do in film or music, you know, I never want to feel like I'm talking at people. And I think that totally comes across. It's that passion. It's so contagious, really, because, you know, I think a lot of people can watch film and and be quite passive about it. And then they hear you talking or interviewing some that you're clearly like very excited to interview. And I think it just, I don't know, it changes the way you you look at film afterwards. Oh, that's so kind of you to say. That's so lovely. I mean, it's quite. It's really nice when you get feedback from people who've listened to it. And so sometimes you'll kind of go, oh, I listened to you um, interview X and so I went to see the film. And it's like, there was a couple of people actually who were really, they're not musical mm-hmm. fans and so they hadn't been to see West Side Story. But then they heard, yeah. 
the episode with Spielberg and heard him sort of talk about it and how childlike his enthusiasm was for it and stuff. And they were like, so I went to see it. Oh my God, it was amazing. And so that's kind of like, oh yes, brilliant. If I can get two people in a cinema from, you know, listening to an episode, my job's done sort of thing. I bloody love it. I hope I'm able to keep like doing it till I'm like on my deathbed, whenever that may be. <laughs> Friend of mine posted something the other day. His belief was that it's people who nourish and kind of feed the creative aspects of themselves that feel youthful and equally mm. you know young people who don't acknowledge that kind of human need for creativity are the ones that feel a bit yeah tired I think that we're in a really good place like I think if I was in a place where I was only able to do my job based on people giving me jobs I would be in a very different state of mind I have the podcast and then I've got a few other things that are kind of you know, in various stages. And I think that being able to have a microphone and make a podcast or, you know, make your own content, it does fuel you. And I think that it does kind of keep the fire in you alive. And I think that I feel really lucky that we are at that stage now where I was able to launch this podcast five years ago to really fulfill a need in me to have conversation about film and music because nobody else was giving me the opportunity. And so I'm so lucky and I feel really grateful that I am able to do that. I mean, I might feel 80 if I wasn't able to do it. Do you know what I mean? I think you're absolutely right about that creativity, kind of keeping the the eternal youth flame flickering. Yeah, and, and I think there's also the risk of feeling, you know, resentful and bitter because I think we've all experienced that you're at the mercy you're literally going mm -hmm. I, I mean I, yeah they may pick me or not pick me and yeah. it's quite a disempowered state to be in for decades where you know a commissioner decides for you or against you based on nothing but like yeah totally and sometimes they might not even have met you yes yeah but it's interesting my friend Natalie who's in who lives out in the States said the best thing to me which was kind of like it's none of your business what other people think of you so and true. you can't make people you know like you or like what you do it's kind of like oh do you know what they you know that's that's their issue it's not mine sort of thing yeah but it's hard when you see it's a job or a project that you know you you absolutely smash and you yeah. know and it's based on a decision that some person is making and you never get any feedback about that as well that's the thing that I find constantly infuriating about mm. our world is that when you don't get a job you don't get any feedback yeah because I thrive on feedback I remember when I was at Radio 1 and we used to do these things called snoop sessions which were the most painful experience ever where you would sit down and just listen to the talky parts of a radio show and kind of deconstruct it and look for ways to improve and at the time and whilst you're in it it's painful but in hindsight it's really useful because you are learning how you can improve. You're learning what you need to do different. And I kind of, I crave and really sort of seek out feedback from people. Yeah. Um, you know, however, wherever that is sort of thing. But you just don't get it. In the same way that faceless journalists can write opinionated pieces about people in newspapers and online, in the same way that commissioners and, and heads of departments and channels can make decisions about things and not, feel the need or the opportunity to be truthful with you. I feel like we need a bit more transparency in our industry. The thanks that got away. 
the person that got away and I, I actually use any opportunity I can to say thanks really because I haven't spoken to her in a very long time but Christine Boer who is this woman who was given the job to launch MTV UK mm-hmm. and without her I would not have the job or the career that I have because she celebrated the individuality of people around the UK by by putting a collection of on-air talent on her channel with different accents, with different backgrounds, with different colour of skin. Um, and it was it was revolutionary at the time, which it shouldn't have been, but it was. Yeah. Um, and just on the female side of things, you know, it was myself, it was Kat with her Brummie accent, it was June Sarpong, um, Sarah Cox, Donna Air. You know, there were so many accents on... Yeah on that channel and at the time I didn't appreciate how big a deal it would be for me that she gave me that opportunity but I never I've never had the opportunity to see her face to face to say thank you Mm. at the time I was getting so much negative feedback and encouraged to go for elocution lessons and all that kind of stuff and she kind of wanted to celebrate she wanted to celebrate me and people like me and where I came from so Yeah. yeah so how old were you when you met her 20 20 okay I do think that again that age in that industry or maybe just in life being given permission by somebody you respect or you look up to or in a position of power to say no you like exactly as you are exactly as you are is quite profound actually at that point in your life or maybe at any point of your life to to feel seen and understood and then go no you do you that's exactly what we're looking for you know, I still have kind of imposter syndrome. Um, and I remember when Liam was launching Virgin, you know, Liam. Yeah. He came to me about doing the breakfast show. Mm-hmm. I remember my agents kind of going, so they're relaunching Virgin and they would like to speak to you about um, about it. And I was like, and they wouldn't tell me any more sort of things. So I went to meet him. And so when he said, look, I'd really like you to do the breakfast show. And my first response to him was, who with? Oh, wow. And he said, he said, no just you. you and I was like really okay and then I said so what do you want it to be and he went well I want it I want you to tell me what you want it to be and I was like I, I mean literally fell off my stool in Dean Street townhouse just mm-hmm. kind of going what gift because I don't think anybody had really said anything like that to me or given me that opportunity so I think everything feels like a sort of not a fight or a battle but it feels like I don't know. A negotiation. Yeah. It's a a bit of this, a bit of that. Yeah. We need something else in yeah. there. We need, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a balance. So to be given a blank sheet and said, yeah. you and whatever you want yeah. is it. And it was interesting because I did it for nearly two years. And the reason that I stopped was because Liam left and we had a new boss come in who I just didn't gel with at all. And he swept all the kind of chess pieces off the board and got rid of so much stuff without again that thing without even getting to know someone or understand things and I just kind of very quickly realized that it wasn't what Liam had asked me to do I was like you know what I'm gonna go and again it's knowing that you're like knowing when to say goodbye instead of bending and shifting and trying to contort yourself into something that someone wants you to be when like it's a pointless exercise among other things yeah so good for you instincts are such a powerful thing I think Okay, is there a big thank you? My big thanks are to 
I mean, my parents and Tom's parents, and in the last two years, particularly Tom's parents. So we moved really close to them. I know I hear a lot of kind of horror stories of people's relationships with mm-hmm. their in-laws. Um, I have the most amazing in-laws. I feel very lucky to do that. And I have a good, a great relationship with them. They're awesome. They are just so involved in our lives and they're so helpful and supportive. Everything from, you know, uh, them looking after the kids and the dog this weekend so I could go to Rome to Tom's mum fixing my curtains to his dad putting together some Ikea furniture to just, I mean, I came back yesterday and he'd sort of moved like, I had loads of logs out in the rain sort of thing. And he's, I've moved all the logs and put them in so they can dry out and stuff. And I don't know, they're just amazing. They're such lovely people. They were both teachers. They both retired and um, they like projects. So we kind of are constantly providing them with projects. (laughs) But I just feel like I have the most amazing, loving and wonderful safety net there. um, Both for me and for my kids. But yeah, I'm so thankful. Fuck them. <laughs> Thank fuck for in-laws who are fabulous. They sound great. Okay, before I let you go, Edith, is there a present yeah. that you're most grateful for? And it can be like frivolous, filthy materialism. So um, Rudy, my oldest, um, made this for me. <gasps> Stop. That is the cute. Is it a pug? So it says, happy birthday, mum. And it's our dog. And Rudy drew it. So he made me that. This was my present when I got back yesterday. That is the sweetest. And I just love the fact that it's it's handmade for them. So he did me that and Spike made me these. I was just fixing one of them because they broke, which are... He went to the bead shop with Grandma. And this says, love you, Mum, on it. A little bracelet. And then my necklace. Ah, stop. little necklace, which says, best Mum. Stuff like that. That is. That's the best present. You don't need anything That's else. That's it where it's like, no, I'm fine, oh thanks. Oh my God. Yeah. That is gorgeous. Well done. Two very gorgeous <laughs> boys. They have their moments. Oh, I'm sure. Are, you know, in those moments, they're beautiful and yeah. perfect and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Quite <laughs> gentle beasts is the is the <laughs> image I'm getting from the necklace on the... At times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we all... The Tasmanian comes out as well. That's a hereditary thing, yeah, Edith, by all accounts. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was lovely. Thank you so much to Edith. You can listen to her excellent, award-winning podcast, Soundtracking, wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, and watch out for my new book, Joyrider, how gratitude can help you get the life you really want. It's got a cracking cover, guys. Cracking. Lovely for your bookshelf. I'd like, ideally, for you to read it as well, but, you know, that's up to you. I can't hold you over a barrel. You can pre-order it now. Just head down below there to the show notes or in my weekly newsletter, you'll get a little nudge and a wink if you sign up to that. If you wouldn't mind, leave us a little review, five star only, please. And if you share the review on Instagram every week, I am going to pick one winner and send you a signed copy of my new book. And I will sign it personally for you. And once it's out in May, I will send it to your home. I'll even spritz a bit of perfume on it. Tell your ma, your dad, your dog, everyone you know, really. And if this has sparked any thoughts or ideas about what you are thankful for, do share. Just use the hashtag thanksamillion trio and tag me at Angela Scanlon via Instagram and Twitter. 
Thanks a Million is produced by Louise Mason at Rethink Audio. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. <laughs>